you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful that you're here. Um, how does it feel to be emotionally healthy? Is it good? I was thinking about this on the drive-in. You know, eight full weeks. You guys are all good. Relationships are on point. How wonderful is that? And, uh, and we have a, a friend of the family uh, speaking here uh, this morning. And it's really cool because like, now he gets to speak to emotionally healthy people rather than the dumpster fires that we were before. And so... Um, but Gavin is uh, just a great friend of our church. He's a great friend of mine, and uh, he's from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and uh, he is uh, just a gift. He's got an incredible mind, um, loves Jesus passionately, and uh, loves our church. And, uh, and so it's so wonderful to have him here uh, with us again. Some of you guys have heard him before, but um, would you give him just a warm welcome as he comes up here to share with us today? Oh, man, I, I rarely talk to emotionally healthy people, so um, I, uh, <laughs> including, I talk to myself a lot, so that's probably part of the problem. Um, hey, I, I am so, I heard somebody woo for Atlanta. Yeah, thank you. To you, that's amazing. Um, I, I am from Atlanta, so, uh, and I, but I do love Hill City, and, and John's not kidding, I, I love Wags and his family. I love what you guys are doing here. Um, I get to travel a lot now, and I speak a lot and consult a lot with marketplace leaders and a lot of church leaders uh, and, and churches, and I, I don't tell anybody else this, I'll deny it, but I think, um, we're probably recording, this is a problem, but you, um, you, you guys are amazing, and what you're doing in the city is just spectacular, and I don't know if you realize that. Have you ever noticed sometimes that, um, you know, you, it's kind of like uh, the, the, the law of diminishing returns uh, in the church where we call it the law of diminishing astonishment? So you're around stuff that's so amazing for so long, and eventually just becomes like, oh, this is just normal. This is not normal, just so you know that. Um, if, if you're not sure, just visit somewhere else for a week, you will really be reminded. So... Uh, anyway, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Um, today we're going to talk about something that I, I love this idea, and I'll, I'm going to tell you a pretty long story from the Bible in a minute, and it's one of my favorite stories. But to kind of get us started, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody do something or uh, just a, a, an amazing feat, right? I mean, something just spectacular, and you thought to yourself, I wish that I could experience that. Have you ever had that feeling? Like, I know you have. I wish I could experience that. I don't know when I first had that experience. Um, I, I think the first one I remember, I was in elementary school. I was 10 years old. I was playing baseball. I was a baseball player up for a, 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 through elementary school until this moment, actually, by the way. Um, I'm playing baseball. I was a pitcher and a shortstop. Um, I wasn't really that powerful, but I was very accurate. That's what I kept being told. You don't throw it hard, but you throw it right. So I got to pitch a lot because if you've ever seen 10-year-old baseball, <laughs> there's not a lot of good pitching that's happening. So we start the inning off. We were the visiting team, so I was going to bat first. I was always the leadoff batter. So I go up to bat, and sure enough, we're playing this other team uh, on this Saturday morning, and their pitcher was a guy named John Dudak. Now, first of all, what a great last name, Dudak, right? John Dudak. Now, have you ever, again, have you ever been out there as a kid playing sports, or maybe you have kids that are playing sports, and your kids, they're like sweet and cute, and then another kid comes out with a beard and like hairy legs? <laughs> That's John Dudak. As I remember John, he had a full goatee, okay, tats, like 10 years old. So intimidating. And I'm not kidding, he threw the ball harder than anybody I've ever seen in my life. It was so intimidating. His very first pitch in this game, 
it came at me because, again, I was accurate, but I didn't throw the ball hard. He was the complete opposite. There was no accuracy. You had no idea where it was going, but it was coming fast. He threw the ball so fast at me, I couldn't get out of the way in time, and it hit me on my knee, and I fell down, and I thought, I don't think this is for me anymore. And I remember, though, I do remember vividly thinking, I wish I could experience what it would be like to be a pitcher with a goatee and tats at 10 and intimidate everybody else. Like, I wish I, I, wish I could experience being intimidating, you know? I, I, I moved on to basketball because, you know, John Dudak didn't play basketball. So I moved... <laughs> into basketball and became a huge basketball fan. I used to watch Michael Jordan. He's my favorite player. He's the greatest of all time. If you're a LeBron person, you, you can leave. Uh, it's fine. Um, Jordan is incredible. No, I'm just kidding. LeBron's all right. Jordan's incredible, okay? He's so good. I, I remember watching him dunk in a dunk contest, right? Uh, he, he was dunking against Dominique Wilkins. I'm in Atlanta. I'm an Atlanta guy. Dominique got completely hosed in the dunk contest, but I'm watching Jordan thinking that must be an amazing experience. They call him Air Jordan for a reason. He just flies like a bird through the air. It's like he never comes down. Can you imagine? Like, what a great, I would love to experience dunking like that. So then I went out in my yard. We had a basketball goal. And guess what I realized? I'm never going to experience that. Like, I lowered the goal as low as it would go, seven feet. And I still, am like, clanging it off the backboard, you know? I can't palm a ball. I still can't do that. I'm never going to experience that. I, I once I saw a girl in my algebra test uh, class make an A on a test. I thought I'm never going to experience that, you know. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what that feels like to experience that, you know. This just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I'm at the gym. I'm working out at the gym, right? Uh, I know you look at me and you think he doesn't work out. I, occasionally I do. And I'm at the gym and I see this guy. He's above the age of 40 and he has an ab. I thought, I'm never going to experience that. Like what? <laughs> What is that, you know? Now, you've experienced this too. You, you, this happens all the time. It's part of the human condition, right? You see things and you think, man, I wish I could do that. Or I wish I could experience that. Maybe, maybe you did that today. Like maybe you pulled into the church parking lot today and you saw another person's car, right? Sin of envy, it's okay, we're forgiven. But you saw the car and you thought, man, I wish I could experience driving a car like that. Or, or maybe you walked in here and, and, and you saw, you know, Wags. You thought, man, I wish I could speak like Wags. Or then you heard Lamont sing. Good grief. You're like, man, I wish I could sing like Lamont. If I could sing like Lamont, I would never not sing. Like, my life would be a musical. I would just walk around ordering. I would sing my orders. I would just sing everything, you know. I mean, I won't make you, like, admit these things out loud, right? But you've experienced that stuff, right? You've seen things and thought, man, I wish I could experience that. I go, I wonder what it feels like to experience that. You know, I, I wonder sometimes if part of the problem is talent, right? Part of it's just ability. I mean, I'm never going to throw a ball like John Dudak. I'm never going to dunk like Michael Jordan. I mean, I, I just don't have that in me. God didn't bless me with that ability. Um, uh, the DNA thing with the ab is probably never going to happen, right? So, some of it's just talent. Some of it's just ability. And, and we probably won't experience that. And that's, I guess, we have to be okay with it. But... There are some things that I think we do see that we wish we could experience, and I'm not sure it's actually a, a talent issue. I think it might be a different kind of issue. I think there might be something else that we might be missing that's holding us back from experiencing maybe some of the greatest experiences that we could possibly experience in life. Again, I, I think this is a part of the human condition. I don't think this is just something that has recently become an emotion. I, I, man, I have to imagine 
If you were alive in the first century and you were walking around following guys like Peter and John, Peter and John were uh, disciples. They were apostles, disciples of Jesus. There were 12 of these guys that followed Jesus everywhere he went. It's, so, it's just so hard to wrap our head around this. Everything Jesus did, they had a front row seat for it. We read about it because they wrote about it. And when they wrote about it, they're not writing about what they heard. They're writing about what they saw. Like they experienced it. You, you've heard the story of Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, can you imagine? Like you get invited to every party from that point forward, right? You're like the greatest, like all of these invitations, you know. They got to see it. I mean, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They passed out the bread and the fish. I mean, they hit a front row seat for the whole thing. And I have to imagine everybody else, when they saw guys like Peter and John walk by, thought, man, I wish I could experience what those guys are experiencing. Like, I, I wish that I could experience what it would be like to be Peter. I, I wish I could experience Jesus the way that John is experiencing Jesus. A after, after Jesus died, and then, spoiler alert, three days later, he came back to life. It's a really great story. Um, he appeared for about, I mean, he was on the earth for, you know, several weeks, you know, 40 you know, or so days, 400 or something people saw him and this risen Jesus. And then he ascended back to heaven from where he came originally. And he left these guys, people like Peter and John, to start the movement of Christianity. They didn't call it that yet, but that's what we call it today. And so they're beginning to move the story of Jesus forward, move his teachings forward, move the fact that God has done something of great significance, that he has offered forgiveness for sin, not through behavior, but just through belief. And they were the kind of leaders of this. They were the Michael Jordan of faith, so to speak, back then. And everywhere they went, I think people saw them and thought, I wish I could experience what it would be like to be Peter. Gosh, I wish I could experience that. There's this one moment that's just so spectacular. Peter, and if you were around, you would have thought, man, I wish I could have experienced it. Peter, Peter and John are walking to the temple. And, and, and as they're walking to the temple, they come across a man who is crippled. And we think he's been crippled for a long time, maybe, you know, from birth. He's like 40 or so. And he always goes to the gate of this temple, and he sits kind of in the corner of the door, and he begs for money. This is what he does every single day. So Peter and John are walking by, and they, they, the guy sees them, and he looks up at Peter and John as they are going into the temple, and he says, uh, excuse me, sir, would, would you be willing to give me a little bit of money? Do you have any silver? Do you have any gold? Is there anything that you can give me? Well, Peter and John, they don't really have anything, but in, in Acts chapter 3, this is verse 6, here is how they respond to this guy, this crippled guy at the gate. They say, but, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, again, we hear these stories sometimes, and, and, and if you grew up like I did, I grew up in church. I, I've been in church since I was negative nine months old, so like I am churched, okay? So, so for me, I would hear these stories, and I would think, man, like, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, a guy just got up and walked away, but I mean, just imagine how crazy this moment is this guy's been begging for money every day for years and years and years and these guys come by and go I don't, I don't have any money but I'll give you what I do have I'll, I'll give you your legs back get up and walk I, I've always assumed the guy just popped right up and you know picked his mat you know I, I, I bet he didn't <laughs> I bet he just sat there and thought eh like I wonder if Peter had to reach his hand down and go seriously like and help the guy up 
When I, I mentioned I grew up in church, so I went to this thing called Vacation Bible School in the summer. I don't know why churches name everything school. That makes it really less appealing, but Vacation Bible School, and we would study stories like this, and there was a little song we sang. Uh, I hate that this is true. I need Lamont, but the song was like, he went leaping and praising God. He went running and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Have you ever heard that song? I'm so sorry. Now it's in your head. So, so that's what happened. This guy gets up eventually. And he starts running around and leaping and praising God. And he runs right into the temple. He runs right into the temple where all of these really important people are. These people who had recently crucified Jesus for claiming some things about God. Now, this guy is running in there. Well, Peter, I mean, it draws quite a crowd, right? I mean, this guy who everybody's been walking by for a long time, maybe decades, is now running around and leaping and praising God, and they don't know what to do about it. Well, Peter, Peter's so awesome. Peter says, this is a perfect time for a sermon. So he puts a mic on, right? He does a mic check, he gets his slides ready, and he starts preaching. He starts preaching to the whole crowd. And everybody starts hearing this message of this Jesus who loves you, who is gracious, who loves everyone, not just Jewish people. But he came for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. I mean, it's just this unbelievable sermon that Peter gives in the temple. Well, the religious leaders aren't too pumped about the sermon. In Acts uh, chapter 4, it, it begins like this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they kind of interrupt the sermon, okay? Uh, verse 2, they were greatly disturbed that's an understatement, okay? They are greatly disturbed because the apostles, Peter and John, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, I won't bore you with all this, but Sadducees, some of these groups of people didn't believe that there was any way of even resurrecting anyway, even at end of times. And so, you know, these religious people are always debating all this silly theology stuff, you know? And so there were all these groups of people that were, you know, debating this idea of resurrection anyway. Is that even possible? But the number one thing they all agreed on is that we don't want to talk anymore about this Jesus guy. This Jesus guy is who caused all the problems, by the way, right? He was a carpenter. If he would have just stuck to building stairs, everything would have been fine. But he had to go off, and I don't even know how he magically did, you know, David Copperfield, these miracles, but he isn't really God's son because the son of God would not have behaved the way that he behaved. They had a preconceived notion of what the Messiah was going to be like, and Jesus didn't fit what they thought he was supposed to be. So they killed him because if you kill the leader, you kill the movement, right? That's what they thought. Of course, they didn't assume that this leader was going to come back to life in three days and really move the thing forward. Now, Peter and John, they've seen too much. And they don't want to quit talking about this Jesus. They don't want to quit talking about him. So here's what happens next. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 in that moment. Now, just really quick, what did they believe? They heard the message that Jesus was the Son of God. They heard the message that you and God aren't reconciled right now because of your sin. Sin is anything that you do that works against what God is working for. That's what sin is. So Peter would say, you're a sinner, and, and it's kind of your fault, but Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to die for you so that you don't have to pay the price. 
That was the message that, that, that Peter was delivering. And he would say, if you believe in that, if you put your faith in Jesus, then you and God can be made right. You can be reconciled. It means to have a right standing, righteousness. You can have a right standing with God. Not because you're going to keep getting it right from now on, but because you're forgiven through your faith, through your belief. That was the message that they were teaching. And it's not the message that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders appreciated. They wanted to have the power. They didn't want this Jesus person to be the Messiah. He didn't overtake Rome the way that he was supposed to, at least the way they thought he was supposed to. So now Peter and John are in jail. They're in jail, and they're in jail overnight because it was evening when they decided to give this impromptu sermon. And Peter is a kind of like ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. So he just started preaching, and now they've thrown him in jail for it. So story continues. The next day, the, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, now listen to the details of this, okay? Like if you were making up a story or whatever, I mean, the details are just so incredible. Uh, Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. Um, if you have read the Bible before, especially about the crucifixion of Jesus, you may recognize some of those names. These are the exact same people that crucified Jesus. The exact same people that had him falsely arrested, crucified him. I mean, these are the same guys. And now they've got Peter and John kind of in their, in their crosshairs. They, they, had, they had Peter and John brought before them. And they began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? They, they couldn't ignore that it was done. I mean, there's a running and leaping and praising God crazy man now running through the temple. They can't ignore what happened, but they don't understand it. They don't, they don't understand it. So they ask him, well, whose name did you do this in? Then Peter, then Peter, now again, ready, aim, fire, Peter, right? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't just Peter. This is God in Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, and we are not going to appreciate how disrespectful this probably sounded, and we are not going to appreciate how, like, roasting he is with these guys, okay? He says to them, rulers and elders of the people, he starts respectfully, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, I think he did it sarcastically like that, you know? If, if we're being asked how the running and leaping and praising God guy got there, if that's what you want to know, I'll tell you, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, I think he pointed his finger, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then John piped in. He was like, hashtag boom roasted. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible if you're not a Bible person. But he would have said that, like if he, was, if he could. He'd have tweeted that, you know. That's what he'd have said. I mean, it's unbelievable. Then Peter, <laughs> Peter's like, hey, I'm on a roll. Let me keep going. He, then he, he digs back into like some Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. That's the Jewish scriptures. He digs in and he says, Jesus is, by the way, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And they were like, oh. you remember when you were a kid, you were like, oh, you know, that's what they did. They couldn't believe that they were throwing this Jewish scripture about this carpenter turned rabbi who they killed. And now they're claiming that he's the actual Messiah. It's unbelievable. What? 
when they, that he says salvation. Salvation is found in no one else. And they're like, time out. Salvation is found in my behavior and my sacrificing of pigeons when I don't get it right. That's how I'm made right with God. And Peter's like, not anymore. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were just unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note. They wrote it down in a journal. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I, 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 it's just so amazing. I think courage is the perfect word that describes what these guys did. Have you ever been awed by someone's courage? Courage is incredible, right? I mean, courage is knowing it might hurt and doing it anyway. Stupidity is the same thing, though. And that's why life can be really hard. <laughs> like, sometimes we want to be courageous about something, and somebody else is like, that's stupid. And you're like, oh, yeah, wait, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? If you think about it for a minute, it was stupid what Peter was doing. Uh, preaching against the guys who just a few weeks ago killed Jesus seems kind of stupid. Being that bold and courageous seems kind of stupid. But he had seen too much. He could not talk about Jesus. The story continues in verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. I mean, this is so crazy. Like, Peter is like roasting the guys, and then the healed dude is still running and leaping right beside him. Like, he's so excited. He hasn't slept all night. He's just running around, you know? He's so excited. He's got a bunch of energy from all the sitting. So he's, he's so excited. And they're trying to figure out what to do with Peter. They're trying to figure out what to do with John. Meanwhile, the healed guy is like running laps around him. They don't know what to do, right? So, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. So they talk about it together, and they basically come to this conclusion. To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, Peter and John, to not speak any more about Jesus, not to speak any more in his name. Basically, guys, if you'll just stop with the Jesus stuff, we'll all get along. It's all going to be fine. Just shut up with the Jesus piece. Everything else we agree on, you know, everything else is fine. So they call them back in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. I mean, he's got to get out of jail free card, right? And then Peter, he can't stop talking. And the guy can't quit running either, right? So, so Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Really quick, just quick pause for a second. If you're not a Jesus follower, you are not a Christian, um, you know, you, I, and gosh, I am so glad you're here today. It, and, and maybe you're here because there's something not working in your life and you're like, oh, I'll give church a shot. I, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe somebody invited you and you decided to come and they told you you'd meet somebody cute or something. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why you're here, but I'm so glad you're here. If you're not sure what to do with, with, with this whole faith thing, Throw out everything else for a minute. Don't worry about all the other things. Uh, don't worry about dinosaurs and Genesis. I mean, all that's interesting, but it doesn't really matter, honestly. Throw all of that out for a minute. You have to figure out what to do with guys like Peter and John. Because here's the thing about Peter and John. They were both eventually executed because they wouldn't stop talking. They, they, they took their life because they wouldn't stop sharing the, the news of Jesus. Not because they had been told something happened, 
They saw it happen. Now let me ask you, at what point, at what point in your life would you continue telling a lie and be killed for it? Like at some point you would say, ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it didn't really happen, you know? They never do that. They died for what they saw. They died for what they experienced. So again, if you're not so sure about this Jesus thing, you gotta figure out how to explain that kind of behavior. I think somebody actually might have come back to life. And if he did, it changes everything. So back to the story. So they've commanded these guys, you gotta quit talking about Jesus. But they're not going to. They've seen too much. They've experienced too much. So it kind of ends this way. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. For the man who was miraculously healed had been uh, over 40 years old. It's just unbelievable, right? Can you imagine experiencing that? Like, can you imagine, like, having the the, the opportunity to experience, I'll call it, a move of God like that, a moment with God like that? I mean, it's just an incredible experience. I imagine everybody else around them was amazed by the experience. They were probably all wishing that they could walk in Peter's sandals just for a moment to experience that kind of move of God. All the people who skipped temple that day, they were at the lake or whatever they were doing, you know. Um, the people who skipped temple that day, they heard about this. And they were like, you mean the guy who I've been giving money to is running around and leaping? And they're like, yeah, you should have seen it. And they didn't get to experience it. I I guarantee you they walked away going, I wish I could have experienced that. And I think that's how we still feel today, right? I mean, I would love to throw a baseball like John Dudak. I assume he's still super cool and intimidating. I would love to pass an algebra test. I mean, I would love to do all that. It would be a great experience. But I think more than any experience in the world that I would like to experience in my lifetime is a move of God in a moment. I think it's the one experience that I just so desperately wish that I could experience. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I suspect you feel kind of the same thing. And maybe you've experienced it like in a moment and you wish you could have another moment like that. Or maybe you heard about something and you wish that you could have been there for it. When I started thinking about this, it it, it actually led me to ask a question. And it's a silly question. And you're going to laugh when you see it. But here's the question. What's the difference between Peter and John and Gavin? Like, really? Like, what's the difference? Now, I know part of the difference is that they're apostles. That's part of the difference. Part of the difference is that people are building temples and basilicas and churches and naming children after them, and they're not doing that after me. But, but, but seriously, like, for a second, what's the difference between Peter and John and me or Peter and John and you or Peter and John and you? What, what's, the, what's the real difference? Or maybe to ask it another way, why not us? Like, why not us? What's keeping us from experiencing incredible moves of God? What's what's keeping us from experiencing uh, the dynamic nature of God? What's keeping us from experiencing the thing that we've always wanted to experience? What's keeping us from, from doing that? It seems like there's something that's missing, and that might be what's keeping us from it. Now, when it comes to dunking a basketball, what's missing is talent and height and hand size, all sorts of stuff, you know? But when it comes to God, what's, what's, what's missing? What's missing? And, and I think I know one thing for sure. The missing something isn't a missing someone. Because the same Jesus that rose 2,000 years ago is still risen. The same Holy Spirit that is in Peter and John is in you. 
The exact same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that indwelled the life of those first century believers, is the exact same Holy Spirit with the exact same power that is in you if you have put your faith in Jesus. It's the exact same thing, which this seems crazy, but Peter and John had no spiritual advantage either then. There's nothing about Peter and John that's special. In fact, they were very not special. They were fishermen before Jesus called them, which means they weren't special. They were fishermen because they had failed out of rabbi discipleship school. They were rabbi school dropouts. They had watched other people better than them become disciples. They weren't smart enough, so they had to drop out and go into the family business, which was fishing. So really, what's the difference? Why not us? Why not us? Why not in this moment? Why not in this season? Why not in this city? Why not in this church? Why not just in your family or just in your life? Why not us? The more I thought about that, the more I began to try to figure out what the answer would be. Why not us? And it's easy to say, well, because we're not Peter. <laughs> it's not the first century. I, I, don't, I don't think those are sufficient answers, though. The more I thought about this question, it, it, it caused me to keep reading in Acts. And if you remember, as that story ended, they commanded them just to stop talking about Jesus and they let him go. Well, when they let him go, all of the people who are now following Jesus are pretty excited that Peter and John are back. At the end of chapter 4, we kind of find out what happens. And, and when we find out what happens, I think, it, I think it actually might provide the answer to the why not us. Verse 24 says this, when, when they heard this, all the other believers, all the other Jesus followers, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, put yourself in their sandals for a minute, okay? You're Peter, you're John. What would you pray for? Like, what would you pray for? You, you've been arrested, and it's probably not the first time, and you know it's not going to be the last time because you're not going to stop talking. So what are you going to pray for? I'll tell you, I, and this sounds sarcastic, but you're probably going to pray for the same things you pray about right now, yourself. <laughs> help me, help me, bless me, bless me, help me, bless me, help me, bless me. Isn't that kind of what our prayers are like? You know, give me a hedge of protection as we drive, you know. That's what we would pray about, because that's what we pray about right now. It's probably what, if you were them, you would be tempted to pray about. And I know you pray for others too, but a lot of times what we're praying for others is healing or help. It's kind of still earthly, selfish, in a way, kind of things. It's what we end up praying about. And that's the natural way we pray. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, that's probably how you pray. The thing about prayer that's so interesting is that prayer reveals something about us, doesn't it? Like prayer reveals what we believe about God. It, it reveals what we believe about the world around us. Prayer, if I could say it this way, prayer puts our desires on display. Prayer puts the real desires of our heart on display. It's what prayer kind of does. This is why people who don't even believe in God eventually find themselves praying to God if they think God can do something about their situation. It reveals what we really want. It, it reveals the desires of our heart. So I want to show you what they prayed. And I think if we could learn to pray something like this, it might change our experiences. And it might actually change a city or maybe a country, or potentially even a world. Here, here's what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
That was their prayer. Not protect us, not save us, not heal us after the beating we just took. They only prayed for boldness in sharing the message of Jesus. That's all they cared about. And then look what happened. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for boldness in sharing the gospel and God boldly answered them, shook the house that they were in. They sensed the spirit of God alive and active and they went out from there and guess what they did? (laughs) They kept sharing the message of God, the message of a risen savior, the message of love, the, the, the message of grace. I know that it's hard to kind of ascertain sometimes what does God bless and what does he not bless and why does he act in this way and why does he not act in this moment? It's so hard to figure that out in our kind of earthly broken world that we're in. But but one thing I know for sure is that God moves to the thing that moves his heart. And from what I can tell, as best as I can tell from my life experiences and from reading scripture, the best I can tell is that sharing the love of God with those far from God is what moves the heart of God. The thing that seems to move God the most is when we ask and pray for boldness to help other people who are far from him experience him. It seems to be the thing that he is most concerned about. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like God, if he really is all-powerful, which I believe he is, at any point he could heal anything, He he could heal anything. I mean, Jesus brought Lazarus, a guy, one of his friends, back to life after he died. But guess what? He's still dead now. He died again. Lazarus isn't still alive. So God would have to keep healing and healing and healing and healing, or he could do something else. He could intervene in a way that permanently fixed everything. And that's what eternity is all about. Which is why guys like Peter and John were so boldly concerned with it. Peter and John believed a few things. Peter and John believed that eternity matters. Peter and John believed that eternity matters more than what we're facing right now. Peter and John believed that we live in a broken world. And that a broken world is going to produce brokenness in the people in the world. But at some point on the other side of this world, all the brokenness will be healed and all the tears will be wiped away. And they believed that that mattered more than this. They believed that. And they lived boldly because they believed that. They also believed that heaven can be experienced here on earth. They believe that heaven isn't just meant to be this reward after 80 years of misery, but they believe that heaven can be experienced right here, right now, which is why they were so concerned with sharing the story of Jesus. They believe that every marriage can be made as whole as it possibly can be if Jesus is at the center. They, they believe that every relationship could be refined through Jesus. They believe that work could find purpose beyond paychecks if Jesus is the center of work. This is ridiculous to say right now. They believed that politics didn't matter compared to eternity. They believed that politics didn't matter and compared to people. Jesus believed that. 
when one day they were so angry about taxation with Rome. And Jesus said, give to Rome what they ask. That ain't why we're here. We're here for people's souls. Because that is what really matters. They, they also believed that God's love was meant for everyone. Peter struggled with this, by the way. Peter was a Jewish guy, and he had grown up in a Jewish understanding that God was for Israel and not everybody else. And then Jesus said, no, Peter. Peter had some unbelievable experiences watching non-Jewish people receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what to do with it. Then he realized that God is for everyone and that God's love shouldn't be withheld through us to everyone. If, if you're not a, a, a Christian, not a Jesus follower, this next part is not for you. Um, but if you are, you know what this really means for us. As, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it, it really means that we have this ridiculous opportunity that could lead to maybe the greatest experiences in our lives. We, we have this opportunity, and it's a bold opportunity. We have this bold responsibility. And our bold responsibility is to steward the message of God's love in this generation, in this moment in time. That's the calling of, of a believer. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but the minute you placed your faith in Jesus, you were adopted into his family and you were made right with God. The vertical conversation between you and God is done. It's over. And you're not going to keep getting it right. And God's like, I know, I know, I know, but you're forgiven. You've repented. You're trying. That's fine. You and I are good. In God's eyes, you're perfect. Now, from this point forward, it's all about horizontal relationships. It's all about the people around you. You don't have to earn anything with God anymore. It's the whole thing about your life until you are in heaven. From this point forward, it's all about others. That's the entire purpose of your life. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like your entire purpose for being here still is the souls and salvations of the people around you. That's it. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters compared to that. And so when I ask that silly question again, why not us? Why not us? I think the reason why not us is because maybe we've just forgotten that that's our true purpose. I think we might have just forgotten that that's the thing that matters the most. We might have just allowed all of the things around us in this broken world to become the focal point of our worlds. We might have allowed the, the things that are right in front of us to take precedent over the thing that's ahead of us and ahead of everyone. I don't know if you've ever really had an experience with God, but I will tell you this. The way to have one is to boldly share your story and the message of Jesus with the people around you. And that might terrify you a little bit. And I get it. Listen, I, I mean, I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to be a Christian, okay? And it, it can be scary sometimes. I totally get it. But here's what I can tell you. God isn't asking you to have all the right answers. He's not asking you to be able to argue people into faith. No one's ever been argued into faith anyway. You know what he's asking you to do? It's very simple, actually. He's just asking you to put other people first. That's it. He's asking you to put everything else in your life secondary to the lives of others. That's it. And how you love them, how you treat them, how you respect them, even how you disagree with them in a way that puts God's love on display. I think the coolest moment in this whole story is 
Acts 4, verse 4. I'm going to read it really good as a reminder. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. When I read that again, I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't know how people can believe if they don't hear. And they can't hear if we don't share. So that's really your job. It's your most important priority until you're in eternity is to share the story of Jesus, to love people into the family of God, to prioritize, this is scary, through all your social media posts, not division, but unity, not hatred, but love, not disrespect, but respect. Because people are gonna assume that the God you follow is like you. They're going to take their cues about God from what they see in you, what they see in me. I wonder what would happen in our world if we made that the priority. I wonder what would happen if we just constantly were loving people. Can you imagine what it would be like if if non-believers looked at us and said, I don't really know if I believe what they believe, but I am moved by how they loved me and how they treated each other. That should be what marks us as a people. And that would, I think, change a city. I think it could change a world if we began to own that as if we actually believed it. So here's what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here again. And I I hope you think about Peter and John and I hope you think about what that story can mean for you. And I mean, I just hope you realize how much God loves you. Like he knows everything about you. And he loves you anyway. Like, he knows about spring break, and he's like, I get it, you're human. But I love you. Like, it's okay. Like, I forgive you. He knows. I think you should process that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to sing a song in a second together. And really, as we sing, I would love for you, if you sing the song, or if you just read the words, or if you just sit there and pray, or however you want to process it, it's fine. I just would love for you to think about what you have made the priority in your life, and what would it look like to pray boldly for the things that these guys prayed boldly for. Because if you do, I think, I think you position yourself to move the heart of God and experience something that everyone else around you one day will say to you, gosh, I wish I could have experienced that. And it begins by sharing. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that someone shared you with me. I'm so grateful that that you loved me enough to keep pursuing me and that you put people in my life to keep loving me well and I was not always that lovable and, and they just kept trying. And it changed my life. And God, I think that we can do that too. We can love people well and we can serve people well. We can be generous of heart, of mind, of our resources to others and make your kingdom the most important kingdom on the planet. So God, I just pray wherever that lands with us, wherever we are with you and our story and our life, I just pray that you give us the courage to be bold in our faith. I mean, maybe the most bold thing we can do is actually make it the priority of our life. I just pray that you help us do that, Father. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for dying for us. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.